justice. My name is a precious little beautiful baby. Keith. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Keith. Hi, doggy. Hi, babe. The 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 drop intro just never gets Hello, easier. Everyone. To to find a way into. Uh-huh. It Justin gets... has tested positive for HIV one. <laughs> <laughs> oh hi. Oh. He told me I had a small dong. <laughs> You've been busy <laughs> the last two weeks. A precious little beautiful baby. <laughs> Okie dokie. Oh man. Okay, so So we're back. I mean, we didn't go anywhere, right? We were always going to do a two-week yeah. schedule yep. for, for the book, right? Yep. Speaking of. Well, not just the book. Just moving forward. We still have one episode of True Detective to talk about. Oh, sh- <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> I actually can't believe it. I came in just fully ready to talk about <laughs> right. the deluge. <laughs> Oh, Which I think tells you probably what you all you need to know about our thoughts on the finale. Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't want to talk in depth about the finale, but I guess just to bring the whole circle to you know full completion. Mm-hmm. Although I think it would be funny if we just never talked about the finale. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Have that be our legacy. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. But I'll just say for me, the finale stunk. Yeah. Didn't care for it. Bad. But again, not for the reasons you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for legitimate reasons. Um, the one f- thing that I do want to comment on the finale is the end. Because. Oh. <laughs> it's like she tries to make the she tries to do the ambiguous ending thing with Navarro being on Danvers deck at the end. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is if you put an equal amount of weight into Navarro being a ghost that Danvers is seeing, you're sending a really terrible message about killing yourself. <laughs> you're like really romanticizing the idea of killing yourself. And also, like, kind of playing into this idea of, like, Native Americans and suicide and, like, it f- in a way that feels really gross. Yeah, it's almost like you can kill yourself because you'll come back as a right. peaceful spirit. So, she, <laughs> so the end tries to be ambiguous, but the only way to read it in my mind is that she's still alive. She has to st- be still alive. Because it's such a terrible message if she's not. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny about that is then what you have is Navarro doing super dramatic, like leaving the SpongeBob toothbrush, yeah. being super dramatic, then like walking towards a mountain and then <laughs> at some point just turning around and coming back. Right. <laughs> like, it sucks. I'm going back. That's actually kind of cold out it's here. Cold. Um, the, the one thing that I wanted to say, and maybe I shouldn't say this because we're, we're about to just get out of here without creating an issue. Mm-hmm. 
But the one, yeah, listen, I didn't like the show for legitimate reasons. Having said that, here's my one potentially borderline hot take about the finale. The N word. All I want to say is what I saw of the group of cleaning ladies who came in at the end. <laughs> Seal did, team six. Did not match <laughs> what was happening in, in episode one. <laughs> right. Episode one was terrifying uh-huh. and, and it sounded horrific. Yeah. Yeah. And then the actuality was like, Nancy, get your gun up. Right. Well, also, it also doesn't explain, it still doesn't explain them being frozen with like horror expressions on their faces. Well, that, that to me is the, the showrunner getting too like precious by being like, the tongue wasn't us. We don't know the tongue. Oh and yeah. The tongue thing is also not explainable. Well, yeah. And, and we, we left their clothes and we just gave them over to her. Yeah. So the idea is in this universe, I think there's a supernatural entity, you know, Yeah. because, because it doesn't make sense. But also like seeing their guns, I was just like, once if I was one of the scientists and gathered together with seven cleaning staff with old looking rifles point out, I think I'd just be like, put those, put those down. Well, not only that, the f- little frail lady with whose missing fingers is somehow like fighting Clark to keep the try and open the hat. You know what I mean? Like she's not going to be able to open that hatch. She, That's not going to be a big struggle. Fingers. She's missing fingers, and and they they're so scared of them <laughs> and doing everything they tell them to do. Get naked, yes. Walk out on the ice, okay. I, I'm just like put them in masks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, make them scary. Yeah, put them in a big coat and masks. Yeah, make them scary. That's true. That's a good point. Thank you. All right. Okie dokie. Nope. Uh, on to the deluge. Even scream masks. If they all had scream masks, <laughs> that would be better. <laughs> um. All right. So book two of the deluge, right? Yep. Um, you said you're halfway through book three, a little more than halfway. Okay. And book three is like the same length as book two, more or less a little longer, a little longer. All right. So book two is called feedbacks. Any, uh, so some, let's do some general stuff before we go chapter by chapter. Like last time, one thing that I realized after getting to the end of book two, which, um, Maybe I should have thought of when I finished book one, but it doesn't seem like there's going to be any new characters, right? All of the people that were introduced in book one, Mm -hmm. you all get their individual chapters in book two, and there's no new... So we're basically just going to be following the story of these however many amount of, of characters. The stage is set. And that doesn't change in book three from what you've read at this point? Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, so book two takes place starting in 2025. So they jump. The last book took place in like 20, 
15, something like that. Jumps to the very near future. Quick side note. We we watched uh, Demolition Man, a movie uh-huh. that takes place in the future. A movie that opens with Sylvester Stallone being frozen, right? Mm-hmm. They have this technology to freeze people in their cryo chambers or whatever, right? The movie was filmed in 1993. Do you have a guess as to what year they thought cryo chamber technology was going to be available? So it was filmed in 93? Filmed in 93. So the opening of the movie takes place, and then they jump, you know, 30 years ahead in time. Yeah, here's the thing. I... I lived it. So I know that everybody thought that the year 2000 was going to bring with it some magical alien technology that would Mm -hmm. be delivered to us. And for some reason, everybody viewed the year 2000 as like a guaranteed leap in human evolution and technology. Mm -hmm. Because every movie that I watched as a kid, the year 2000, 2002, Mm -hmm felt like star wars you know what i mean like in terms of depiction so i'm gonna say 93 they probably thought 10 years Mm -hmm. maybe not even Mm -hmm. maybe 2000 maybe 99 even Mm -hmm. uh the opening of the movie takes place in 1996 (laughs) (laughs) three years after the movie came out (laughs) we're gonna have cryo chamber technology now the one thing demolition man did get right is their view of fast food restaurants right you know it's interesting because the guy who directed it um is ronald mcdonald an italian guy Mm -hmm. but i feel like these italian the not italian but some of these foreign directors do a really good job of like um characterizing american food fascism in the future because like star starship troopers is another good example and demolition man is it's a goofy movie right it's stupid but there is some interesting stuff in there like cultural critiques sort of expanding upon the same stuff that you know starship troopers does you know, just sort of like American oversight, the gov- the governmental oversight, stuff like that. The heavy handedness of like conservative government can can be like. Um, and it's directed by this Italian guy who's done basically nothing else. Uh, directed well, a bunch of shorts and he directed one music video. Well, he did Demolition Man. Well, he did Demolition mean? Man and then he did the Kanye West music video for Power. Of all things. Wow. Yeah, strange, right? Came out of retirement for Kanye <coughs> West. Okay. Um, so all that to get back to the book. It jumps forward a little bit in time. And again, this is just for the second book. So the second part takes place in the future. I think by the time it ends, it's like 2030. Mm-hmm. But they don't do... So far, they haven't done any like futurey stuff, right? There is like some throwaway lines here and there about you know I, I I wish I had my VR headset or something, 
or they do in the last chapter, they do a, like a 3d projector presentation or something, but there's not the focus of the, the sort of future on the book tends to be climate based, like storms, weather events. Um, but not like tech tech. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, it, it, it made me feel like maybe the focus is again, so driven by, um, climate that technology is kind of maybe being refocused mm -hmm. because like, for example, gaming is not a big, a big focus of people's lives. It mm -hmm. seems like the VR set and slapdish, which I have some questions about. Yeah. They're more like second life stuff almost. Exactly. Yeah. That, that he seemed, and listen, you can't project everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So it seems like he just kind of cut some corners in terms of the social aspects of it mm -hmm. and tried to focus on the climate and technology is primarily seen through climate. Right. Change stuff. Yeah. Um, before we jump in chapter by chapter, I also want to talk about you. Uh, you, you ended up kind of binging this book. No, I'm not. I, I did the opposite of binging. I'm reading a page or two as I feel like it. And that got you through? Yeah. I mean, binging is in like, I, I, I'm, I only, well, I guess that's not true. But I never read more than one chapter in a day. And the like longest chapter is like 15 pages or something. Yeah, that's is that saying. a binge? Well, there I, are big pages. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. I, again, I think because you got, I, I told you you'd like catch up to me because I'm a slow reader. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah, that your reading style then makes no sense to me because <laughs> I could not have gotten through based on where you said you were when I checked in after like the first week. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't think he's gonna get there. Yeah, I think I took a couple days off after the last podcast. I don't know how you did that. And then, yeah, I'll just do like a chapter a day. Kind of depends on how long it is. And then I'll maybe I'll read some before I go to sleep. And then I'll read some in the middle of the day or I'll read some at night, you know. All right, this is boring me now. <laughs> Let's move on. All right, so the first chapter, what is six degrees? Feds respond to shadowy heartland saboteurs. And it's just a Rolling Stone article about... The eco-terrorist group Six Degrees. Yep. I, I wrote some questions. Down. Sure. Which I'm assuming is the Shane and Murdoch eco-terrorist group. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like. But having... there's still no explicit connection to it. Right. For yeah. me, at least. Yeah. See, that that's what's interesting is trying to figure, trying to remember what is included. Although, I mean. Shane rides is a chapter, mm -hmm. right? And doesn't that connect her to six degrees? Does it? Yeah. Anyway, we'll, 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 we'll get there. We'll get to it. So I think what we're going to find is maybe Justin skipped the chapter. No, that, I read Shane rides for sure. I read it. it. I did read it to the end. All right. So here's some questions I have. Um, would you put a space in their name? Six degrees. No, I like not having a space. Really? It makes you stand out. So the six, it catches your eye. It looks like a mistake. Well, yeah, six it, D. 
Yeah, that that is what mine went to. My mind went to, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't like that." Yeah, we're we're six D. <laughs> Why not? It sounds dumb. Um, okay, so what stood out to me in this chapter is how they frame the the article, and I think Stephen Markley does a great job of advancing plot character um i should have just said plot and character mm-hmm. um through <laughs> through the structure of the book and through the you know in this case like this article mm-hmm. so here's a thought that i had about it uh number one um the article follows a guy who's representing the oil companies, right? Uh, at some point. And mm-hmm. he's, he's both trying to say that this is an elusive group, hard to catch and pin down, right? Mm-hmm. But he also refers to them as monkey wrenchers. Mm-hmm. So you're both trying to build up a threat while also undermining the threat. At the same time, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to make people. He, he also compares the pipeline attacks to 9-11. Yeah. Right. In, so in, part, in of the, the, part of the chapter describes all of their different. They've blown up two pipelines. Right. With no human casualties. Right. And this guy representing the oil company is, uh, I think, doing a great job. But you see the strategy of both trying to undermine underplay mm-hmm. this group of monkey wrenchers quote unquote while also instilling fear to get support behind them and then to equate violence mm-hmm. right which i think is another tactic that, that that's used where they have only blown up pipelines that impacted the bottom line of the company and this guy wants to you know, evoke 9-11. Mm-hmm. And hopefully in the mind of the reader, make them equate terrorist acts right. to be both human-focused and pipeline-focused. Mm-hmm. And then to say, you know, these people are dangerous. They, they could be anywhere. And also being like, yeah, and they're just, they're not even doing anything, you know? So you you want in your argument right you you want your rhetoric to kind of play both sides and cover all bases mm. and that's what we see throughout this section including um later on when when you have the advertising approach mm-hmm. right how do you stop a revolution i think is the name of that chapter mm-hmm. so anyway i thought it was really it's just really smart how i think he is advancing the themes and the plot um, and the and and building the world out mm-hmm. through things like this, where a lesser writer would have just made this read like an article, um, and I don't think really seeded in a lot of ideas mm-hmm. that he then explores through through this section. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, and then the next chapter. The Watch and the Blood Bank. So this is another chapter about that gross drug kid. Keeper. 
keeper, uh, describes a watch he got from his stepfather. Yeah, very um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, this is the one character that does not really seem to have a solid connection to the rest of this book, to the rest of what's going on. So I was going to say that. I I think that we didn't talk a lot about his chapter yeah. in the first part because it does stand out a little bit. He basically just date rapes somebody right. in the in the first book and it kind of sets him up as a uh drug um if he's not an addict at that point mm. definitely on his way uh and a pretty unredeemable character right right then you have this chapter which basically just deepens his depravity yeah it's just about him basically stealing Doing whatever he can to get money for drugs, giving blood. Well, trying to get money to pay rent. Well. But, but then using then, it for drugs. Right, yeah. Um, and, and the whole time trying to tell himself that he's not an addict and then using intravenous drugs mm -hmm. um, at the end of the chapter. So one question that I had, well, for, the, the first thought they had is, this is the first chapter where Markley, I think, starts to work in the weather mm. in a very like subtle way to the point mm -hmm. where it took me until the end of the chapter to realize what he'd done, which is put this really horrific blizzard on the periphery. Mm -hmm. And that, again, that's the point of this book is climate change. So I'm reading that. I'm kind of like, yeah, wh how does this tie in? And then I was like, oh, there's a huge blue. Mm -hmm. Well, there it is. So is that just the time? This is just sort of a, almost like a boots on the ground, I guess. This is what the, this is what the weather is doing. Because every, everybody else in the book, I mean, uh, Shane and Murdoch have not been tied into everything else directly, directly. Mm -hmm. Although you can see how it's coming together has been tied into this, you know, the Kate Morris stuff, the advo advocacy, all that stuff. Yeah, I took it mainly as that, mm -hmm. showing Keeper, to me, is kind of showing that the people on the fringe and the poor mm -hmm. are the ones who experience the effects that we talk about mm -hmm. more acutely Mm -hmm. They're kind of the front line, right? Yeah, that's interesting because the first time I really made note of the weather stuff was at the end of the last chapter. And in that, it's affect it's not even it's not really affecting, but it's it's more romanticized than anything. Right. When they're having their affair or whatever, and these are two very rich people. So they're not even really it's almost a benefit for them. Exactly. Yeah. And the the other thing that I think is interesting, and it'll be interesting to see what Markley does with Keeper, is normally in a story like this, you would make the you would make Keeper sympathetic mm -hmm. because we want to care mm -hmm. about the poor and the fringe characters and how they're suffering and experiencing climate change, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, we get Keeper. Right. And Right now, at this point in the story, I'm kind of taking it as a 
as an argument for the basic humanity of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, Keeper is not a sympathetic character and he's not in this section either, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but at the same time, he doesn't deserve to freeze to death mm-hmm. um, because he can't find shelter um, and he can't get help, mm-hmm. you know? But maybe he does deserve to freeze to death. I mean, he raped somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I I think but I think my my point is like not yeah. in this way, right? I get you. Yeah. Uh. All right. Next chapter. Justin, the the climate vigilante. My <laughs> throw. Listen, I will say the older I get, the more my the more I have a hard time not believing in capital punishment. (laughs) The more I need someone smart to convince me that it's a bad thing. (laughs) All right. Maybe what I should say. Let me, let let, let me try. Um, It's a bad thing. Good googly moogly. Did that help? Yeah, maybe. Do it. Okay. Uh, all right, the next chapter is this big, long Vanity Fair article about Kate, Chaos. about Kate, um, and but it's mainly told from the perspective of Matt, right? Yeah, he's kind of narrating. <laughs> yeah, I think at some point, it's interesting because you mentioned this with the first chapter. There are these chapters that seem to try to play with the format and are supposed to be different things. And they ultimately kind of always just devolve into the same. It's, he's just telling a story like, like this is not written. Like it would be an actual article at some point in this article. It feels like an article, but then it just turns into, I'm going to go talk to Matt. And then you just kind of get Matt's perspective on everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so at some point starts talking about Matt, but this, so this chapter is about Kate, um, the fierce blue fire group, what they've built up and they are at a, uh, moment in time, a, a turning point potentially where they're debating whether or not to endorse the moderate Republican candidate running for president who has, uh who agrees with all of their environmental policies and their basic stance which i thought was interesting is the fierce blue fire group's basic stance is we're putting environment above everything else mm-hmm. as long as these the the top priority basically because the world is ending is fixing these things nothing else matters if we can get these things fixed then we can deal with everything else. What that means is we're fine with, you know, abortion being banned federally. We're fine with gay marriage being banned federally. As long as we can get these policies enacted, because if we don't, the world's going to end. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting sort of uh, stance to take and uh, something we could talk about, I guess. Yeah. Because I I think... um, I guess we weren't talking about this, but right, right before we started recording, I guess it's one of those things where it's like, if you truly believe this, then I, it makes sense. You know, like if you truly believe that the world is ending because of this stuff, then, 
you know, certain rights of other groups, I guess, doesn't matter until we get that straightened out. Right. You know, you, you weigh it. Right. Right. So it's like, fine. It, it matters who can marry. It does. Right. But it doesn't matter if the world is right. ending. Yeah. If, if there's no if society. No one's alive to be married to. Yeah. Well, and also if there's no society to recognize that marriage. Right. Then, yeah. I mean, if we're all going to devolve into a, you know, non-society and mm-hmm. a post-apocalyptic, then, yeah, you can kind of marry whoever you want then, mm-hmm. you know? Um, here's, so here's my thought in this chapter. Um, so again, I kind of said, it, it identified that it, it does identify the single issue priority, um, advocacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what I see it showing is that it can lead to like the fully actualized, like Uber neoliberal. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the approach, the political approach that actually um, that actually creates a person who goes, our system's broken, so we just have to accept incremental change. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing we got. So Joe Biden is the best candidate, and you just need to shut up and vote for him. And we just need to push this one single issue. Mm-hmm. The reason why this would be like the the uber neoliberal is because we've seen this person before, but they've been for other issues that are not universal, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you get people who look at the candidates and they go, Hillary Clinton for president, because she would be the first female president, which would be historic. Yes. But when you look at her policies and what she actually believes, mm-hmm. you're like, Hill, mm-hmm. gross. Yeah. But some people are like, no, you, you are, you are part of the problem. If you do not vote for her, you are misogynistic. You're, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they are one issue voting. The thing that matters most to them and they just don't give a shit about the rest of it. So it does bring up the interesting idea of does neoliberalism actually become a, you know, a good approach when you're dealing with climate change, Mm -hmm. where I think you and I would both agree that neoliberalism is a net negative in the political space Mm -hmm. when it's about, non you know world ending threats <laughs> right <laughs> <clears throat> yeah um yeah i don't know it's it's it, it, it's the thing that this this book does so well is um make you feel terrible about the world you live in <laughs> i feel like <laughs> it does a very good job of outlining why everything sucks i feel like and why everything's terrible and why it's like so hard to deal with all of this stuff yeah i think i think this though presents the most hopeful perspective though yeah i don't disagree like listen our system is broken Mm -hmm. but we can make changes in it 
Mm-hmm. And if we elevate this one priority, we can push for change and we can actually right. see well, that. Yeah. Well, what what's interesting about it is it it right. In outlining all of those things, it also does propose a solution. Now, I don't know how realistic any of this stuff is. It sounds correct to me, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that I think that it, it is encouraging to just have a solution that seems like it could do something, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that there is a solution even in a later chapter that we'll get to because mm-hmm. I wrote a note on it. I do think that this book, Subtly, pre- so I think this book does a good job of presenting different approaches. Again, this is Kate's approach, mm-hmm. so I don't think that this is the only approach. You mm-hmm. know, this is a neoliberal, a a fully actualized neoliberal approach. Mm. Um, you know, this is like saying, yeah, if we push through the bad stuff, we can reach the promised land. If we just focus on this actual issue, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and and lose all the other stuff or else we'd be getting another president who would, you know, set some new precedents for the presidency for America, which is great, but then who would also do corporate bailouts would also just like the other party be supporting one side in an Mm -hmm. Israel Palestine conflict and who would, um, you know, absolutely embrace war police fund you know all of it Mm -hmm. right so uh yeah climate change does present an existential threat i think again i i i'm no fan of a neoliberal approach but i can understand kate's perspective in this chapter yeah it it, it makes sense to me yeah the in this chapter, it doesn't get too much into her personal life yet, right? Not yet. but It I, comes up a little bit at the end. It comes up a little bit in here, and then it comes up again in the in the last in the chapter shorter. when they're when they're trying to game plan about how to attack her. Right, because that that's I do want to talk about that aspect of Kate. Okay, so do you want to save that for the other chapter? Because yeah, I was going to ask what, about that too. Okay, yeah. So, yes, the, the other thing, um, the other thing that I think is, that is interesting about the book that I think he does very well, and maybe this is just, again, like a part of the front end of the book, but also, so the next chapter is called Magic Mountain, and this is the one about the researcher going to Davos, Peter... Tony Petrus. Um, I, I really like this chapter. You know, it's him going to Davos, kind of chewing everybody out, kind of like that, um, what is it, that Dutch guy did? Exactly. I was going to bring him up. Yeah. And then, you know, it has a, a what I thought was a very kind of sweet um, side where he's talking to his He loves his daughters. Yeah. Uh, but what... This chapter does what you get hints of. And then what the last chapter does is he does a very good job of giving you this moment of time, like right before the thing happens, but you don't get a chapter on the actual thing. 
So like we get the chapter on a fierce blue fire trying to um, decide whether or not they want to endorse Mary Randall, I think her name is. Uh, but you don't actually get a, a chapter on that endorsement and what it looks like and blah, blah, blah. You just see the after effects of it. Exactly. And then with this, uh, later on, you find out that this Tony Petrus guy has been like blacklisted. No one wants to work with him. He's turned kind of into like a grumpy anti-woke mm-hmm. guy, which was a little bit of a misnomer. And, but you don't get that in this chapter. You get hints of it. Yeah. And then you realize later on, oh, he's like completely leaned into it. And right. He calls the, the presidential candidate. Well, now the present, a diversity hire, right? Diversity hire, affirmative action hire, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So my my questions on this or thoughts on this chapter. Number one, slapdish. Slapdish is no as a name. Right. But what is it again? It's their VR. Okay. Interface system. That's right. And then it's like the Facebook. Right. And then the, the places like the, and then the individual servers or whatever is called a world, but with an E. e. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, the name slapdish is bizarre. I don't know what that's (laughs) supposed to be. (laughs) It made me think of, did you watch Blackberry? Yeah. It made me think of Blackberry because in every movie, that is about like the the Jordan shoe mm-hmm. or even like Han Solo's origin story. You have a scene that tells you how whatever it is gets named. All right. Han Solo, you, you understand why he's named Han Solo. Blackberry is the one example where they refuse. They bring it up. But then they refused to answer uh-huh. how they settled on BlackBerry yeah. as the name of the thing, of the phone. And it it, it has haunted me uh, since I saw it because I thought I could get over it. But I, I do just need to look it up. Um, well, see now, I Googled Slapdish quickly just to make sure it's not like a name or a term or something I'm just not familiar with. And the only thing that comes up is Slapfish. Exactly. And it actually thinks that I didn't mean to search for slapdish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and to me, it makes me feel like this is such a bad name. Right. It, it has to have an origin story and I want to know what it is. Yeah. Sla- slapdish and worlds are bizarre choices. Like worlds make sense, but it seems very lazy. <laughs> Because it's, it's literally just world with an E. And you threw an E on there to like make it different. <laughs> and then Slapdish makes no sense at all. <laughs> and it and it's not even something that I think people would if you called something Slapdish and it got big, people would change its name in how right. they talked about it. Yeah. No one'd be like, Hey dad, I saw you on Slapdish. Right. You know? They just call it like slap or something. So, yeah. On on the dish. <clears throat> um, all right. And then my other thought was does the messaging matter anymore? So he has the freak out moment. And mm. then I was thinking of, yeah, the the academic guy who And his freak outs are great. Yeah. The 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 academic guy who um really stuck it to him at, at Davos, mm-hmm. uh, you know, years ago now. And uh Greta uh Thunberg. 
Thunberg who gave it to him too. Um, but both of them don't seem to have any like negative impacts mm-hmm. on their life. It's not like he was then fired and how dare you? It seems like he's still on Twitter and social media, like throwing out the statistics and he's fine. Yeah. Greta seems fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, especially in this realm where everything is already pre slotted out, you're, you're just adding to the, to a system that already exists. Mm-hmm. You go to Davos and you're the guy who like screams at them. We've seen it before. We know what to do with you. You go in this column, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, that quickly is something that I thought was interesting that he didn't really lean into, but, and maybe this is just me thinking about it is like, I was expecting that to get commodified like that angry thing. And maybe it's because in a way he's commodifying what the Dutch guy did by putting it in this book. Mm -hmm. But like, I was expecting it to, it, it almost becomes like its own thing where it's like, you know, Oh, this is, they it's the uh, all news is good news type of deal where it's like, Hey, this is the rich people who do Davos are like, Hey, this is bringing us more attention. We don't really care because this guy can spout off as much as he wants. It's not going to change anything because he doesn't have any power. We have all the money or whatever. Um, But it doesn't, it doesn't lean into that at all. No. And and it does make me feel like though, that's the takeaway, right? Which is it's, it's all performative at that level. Mm -hmm. Like, like Davos is, is purely performative um, for the rich people to just get together and, Mm -hmm have a pat themselves on the back. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing something and, and have a celebration for, for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is a, and, and like you said, they know where the power lies. So they'll let someone have their little 15 minutes of fame and scream at them from a platform. Mm-hmm. And they're going to jump in their pl- private planes and fly right. to, you know, uh, the Super Bowl yeah. right after. Um, but what's interesting to me is when you look at an issue that doesn't feel kind of pre-designed in, in how the conversation's going to go, mm-hmm. where the power structures are not as defined, where the power structures seem to be a little more loose, there does seem to be uh, consequences. So I do think about the people who've spoken out against Israel. Mm-hmm. And it does seem to be like if somebody yells, did his little outburst mm-hmm. and had it be about Israel, I do think that there would be consequences. Right. I do think that that person would be, if they were a professor, they'd be fired. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we've seen that too with freaking uh, the Harvard president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was plagiarism. That's under the guise of plagiarism. Okay, I didn't follow it. <laughs> Apparently at all. <laughs> but, but you know, I only got the conservative talking points, which was it's all about plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know about the billionaire that brought up the charge, right, and headed it up? No. And his wife got, got found out to I did see something about that. And then he's still, like, posting his way through it. Like, yeah. he's, he's not letting go. He's yeah. Like, Dude, listen. You gave me a billion dollars, you'd never see me again. Right. But you give me like maybe five million. 
I don't know how much. Maybe I get five million, and I come slinking back right. after like five years. I'm like, I need a little more. Right. Uh, but I would think in my mind, if you give me like five to ten million, you also won't see me ever again. Like, mm-hmm. I, how, why do these people crave the sickness? It is, man. Mm-hmm. It's a bizarre sickness. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I was like, he. He is the brunt of a reaction to a system that I don't think would, in real life, I don't think that he'd, he'd face the blowback right. that, that, that he does. Yeah. Um, but I do like the fact that Markley makes him a little, like, un-PC mm-hmm. to give him more of that edge because then you, you see him still, like, pissing off people on the left. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is what, would would make what happens to him understandable a little more because he wasn't just like the Dutch guy who just gives it to the rich people and goes back and like is uh is good on every other issue. Mm-hmm. This is like an old white guy, <laughs> right? You know who yeah. uh, he's a curmudgeon. Yeah, who's a curmudgeon. Um, and then we also see towards the end or at some point in the chapter that his daughter Holly is working for. Just started working for a fierce blue fire. Yep. Okay. His other daughter wants to be a actress. Right. She's like a party animal. Um. So then the next chapter, I think I was getting this chapter mixed up with the Vanity Fair chapter. The next chapter is the continuation of the Kate and Matt stuff told from Matt's perspective. The Years yeah. of Rain and Thunder Part mm-hmm. 2. And he just kind of runs through everything that's happened since the last book, which is that they went to DC, blah, 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 blah. They've started this whole activism group. Um, my thought on this is that it feels like um, it shows them like Kate's approach as being as buying into the system, mm-hmm. right? And as soon as you buy into the system, your ideas are co-opted by that system. Mm-hmm. A ceiling is placed on them. And I experienced it in my own job too. You know, I'm sure you maybe experience it where your idea is only as uh, relevant as the person above you thinks it is. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have space for your idea, shut up about your idea. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this instance, the person telling you to shut up about your idea is Kate. And it, she's telling that to, Oh no, I'm sorry. This is cause this is about Kate and Matt. I'm yeah. thinking of the other chapter still. So I'm thinking of when they go over and they buy into the DC system right. and they create a fierce blue fire. Uh-huh. As soon as you do that, a fierce blue fire as a lobbying group mm-hmm. then becomes dependent on the system that it is trying to change. That system then creates the the the, the ceiling, right? Right. And you start to see all the ways at which Kate needs to like accept compromises mm-hmm. to get her end result through. But you also see the other people that they're working with, their concerns about the conservatives, what they're mm-hmm. going to do and all that. 
you you see that as also being something where you can't say the thing that you you can't say your best idea. Mm-hmm. You you have to say your like eighth best idea. It's also compromised in and of itself, right? Just to like keep a conversation going because they they will shut you down mm-hmm. if you go with your top three ideas, mm-hmm. right? And I think I think that to me is the fundamental problem of the system, right? Mm-hmm. Any big system, again, I, I see it just in like a higher ed system. You you have an idea of how to like help students better in an area. You, you can't say your first idea. Mm-hmm. It involves too many departments, right? Too many other jobs, right? Too many things. So then you have to like scale it down, scale it down, scale it down to your space. And for Kate, again, what what can you hope to get out by buying into the system? Mm-hmm. And that's the compromise. Scaling it down so much dilutes the idea to where it's basically, what's the point? What, what What's the point? Or also like you really need to articulate what it is that you're after uh-huh. because you have now so far down the options tree mm-hmm. that you do end up with like Obamacare. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that, that to me is kind of the argument against, yeah, there's smart people working on it or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause they're all working in the, the political system mm-hmm. cancels out good ideas. Sure. Right. Um, but so this chapter is where the personal stuff happens that you want to talk about. She has a fight with, um, Matt's dad. Right. Uh, the other thing that seems to be a through line both in these chapters and then at the end in the advertising chapter is the idea that they have an open relationship. Yeah. So, so that's carried through from the first book. You know, it doesn't seem to have turned into a exclusive relationship. Yeah. Magically. I don't think that she was ever offering that. Right. But it starts to bring up the idea and I think it, I think the seeds are here and I think it comes up more in the next book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll kind of pull back my, my question, but I kind of want to get a sense of number one, how do you feel about the dynamic between Kate and Matt um, in this book? Maybe we can come back to this because there is an excerpt at the end, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the transcript ec- excerpt between uh, oh, an from interview. the podcasts. Yeah. Right. From the podcast where they address her, personal life more Mm -hmm. directly Mm -hmm. so maybe we can come back to it then okay so the next chapter is about shane and murdoch mostly Mm -hmm. shane uh but she meets murdoch at the very end right shane rides the panopticon and kai she meets kai right um is this where she gets tied to six degrees honestly don't remember much about this chapter okay so this is the chapter is, isn't her about going home and seeing her kid it's basically her driving to pick up put these pieces together help kind of connect these pieces oh, okay so i see she does some six degrees graffiti in the that's bathroom right. stall that's right um so here here my my thoughts or takeaways on this and i just want to add quickly read all the sidebars in this Ooh, chapter okay you know why? Because there was only one There's, that took up half the page. Yeah. 
What, what do you think of the sidebars in this section? They're fine. Okay, here's my thought. My, my first thought is weather becomes a much larger, more direct background mm-hmm. player. Um, now you have a dust bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Huge dust storm that's blowing from west to east across the United States. Um, first black woman president is a Republican. Is this because the compromise on the issues would be too great for the liberal side of things? Why do you think in this world the Republicans would be the ones to benefit from Kate's? Yeah, I don't know because the idea is that the Republicans have started another sort of sect within themselves, which is the Green Tea Party, right? And they are the eco-focused conservatives. And that's who Kate gets to, or that's who Kate allies with, I guess. Um, I don't know. I guess it doesn't really go into it, but if I had to assume, I guess it would be the idea of like, because uh, it seems like it does to me, it doesn't seem, it seems to me like when the, uh, when the Democrats win, it's because the Republicans lost, if that makes sense. It's like one of those dumb sports questions, right? Mm-hmm. Did you win this game? Did the other team win this game or did you lose or whatever? But what I mean is like, to me, when it seems like the Democrats win, it's just because the Republicans couldn't get their shit together. Yeah. Right. Because their messaging is so much better. Their, uh, their base is so much more, uh, involved when it comes to voting or whatever they mm-hmm. they vote more consistently and so if i had to guess it would just be that sort of angle of like they 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 maybe they didn't have a cohesive message but that sect of the republican party got enough support to go along with the traditional conservatives who are going to vote conservative no matter what doesn't matter what the party stands for they're just going to vote conservative that it finally pushed them over the top yeah, I thought it was interesting because he doesn't go into detail to speculate on mm-hmm. why she would get the, why she would be the benefit. Right. And we'll also say quickly in this chapter, in this book, they still don't get anything past. Spoiler alert. Yep. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know if that happens in the next book, but that could very well be just another political thing. That's the one thing I will say that I thought was interesting is that it doesn't get hung up on the idea, at least up until this point, it has not gotten hung up on the idea of like, we can never get these ideas passed up until the end of this chapter. There's a, there's a pretty clear way that it seems like they're going to get all this stuff implemented. It's just a question of whether or not it works. Right. And I, um, I don't know why I'm trying to remember. I wrote down my notes. Um, I kind of took it as the it's so much harder to get the compromise from the democratic perspective mm-hmm. because you have less of cohesive vision and more of these targeted specific per, more more personal right experiences that mm-hmm. are so much harder to come together on. And on the other side, you just have a blanket 
like you're either responding to fear mm-hmm. or you're responding in loneliness to your tribe or cult, you know? I saw on social media, you see a lady um, fell and broke her hip on her way to vote for Donald Trump. No. And they brought the voting thing out to her. <laughs> it shows her laying in the street voting for Donald Trump with a broken hip. No, I did not see that. Yeah. And it's like that that is both the perfect example, like picture of some of those voters and also the reason why they're tough opponents. Mm-hmm. Because they'll go out and they're so unhealthy, they'll break a hip on their way to vote. And damn, if they still don't demand to vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my other question thought was, here's where future tech comes into play. Mm-hmm. Because you have the targeted ad technology. So when Shane is driving across the country... She makes mm. one mistake. Mm-hmm. She forgets to wear her mask and she gets a targeted ad on the screen for her mm-hmm. for like Snickers or whatever because it recognizes her, right? ties her to her history. That to me is also something that's very, very interesting because it just, it's a, it's a minor detail, but it says a lot about that future and the tech that you asked about in the beginning And so you clearly have a society that has allowed targeting ads based on facial recognition. She doesn't have a chip in her, right? Mm -hmm. Which means surveillance state. Right. Right? And to me, it was an interesting connection because you always, or I didn't think of surveillance state strictly from a ad perspective but that is the way that it would come in right Mm -hmm. because i remember talking to you even and me trying to work through like after 9 11 being like all the homeland security acts like well i don't have anything to hide so what what Mm -hmm. do i care and then you realize you're like no that's the that's the quote-unquote slippery slope Mm -hmm. right because it's not just about one thing it's about allowing a society to use facial recognition mm-hmm. that then gets co-opted by companies or even for ads. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to walk into a, a store and then my store app pings. Right. Because it's like, oh, hey, I see you're in the Target. Here's the coupons for you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um how do you feel about that? Like, ha- have you changed your thought about that kind of slippery slope idea of like, now I want, no, I want to protect all my image and my. Yeah. I mean, uh, going back to the idea of love, like the, the not having anything to hide. I do still kind of feel that way, but in, in conjunction with that, it, it's also, especially when it comes to like law enforcement or anything like that, it's like, whether or not you have something to hide, if if you're the guy they want, they'll find something for you to hide. You know what I mean? So that doesn't really that 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 is also, you know, 
kind of an issue with it. But when it comes to advertising, I mean, I'm still of the mindset of like, I don't understand where all this advertising money comes from and how it works. And like, how does it provide value to these companies? Because everything is driven by advertising. You know what I mean? And I just don't see how it benefits anybody. It just seems like it's a business loop that makes sense to business people, but I don't understand how it works practically speaking. You know, mm-hmm. the, did you see um, the, did you hear about the free TV? No. Some companies making a free TV, completely free, and it's two, it has two screens, one regular 16 by 9 TV screen speaker below that and then below that a second screen that's like a rectangle a a less tall rectangle and it shows ads 24 hours a day can't turn it off it's just always showing you ads at the bottom and that's how the tv is free because they can show you ads 24 hours a day like where, how does that make sense? And then the TV also has, it comes with a camera that you can't turn off and a microphone that you can't turn off, you know? So it's like very clearly we're giving you this free TV so we can track all your stuff, sell it to advertisers. But I don't understand how that's making people money. I don't, you know, outside, it just seems like money laundering to me. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, where is the feels like you're playing in a fixed economic system. Right. Like, where's the dynamic change up in that system? Yeah. Just like, yeah. I'm- and they also announced, you know, they announced the TV and then they had to take pre-orders, right? They announced, they just announced, I guess, that they've, they're planning on making 500,000 of these TVs because that's how many people signed up for it. It's <laughs> a lot of people. We want a free shitty TV. It's not even a good TV. Yeah. Yeah, man. I- it's just bizarre. So when it comes to my personal stuff. I don't know why that bummed me out so much. Yeah. <laughs> you really bummed me out. All right, go on. Um, I mean, I tend to not care about it too much. I mean... I try to avoid ads at all costs. So like we pay for YouTube, not the full American price, because <laughs> because I don't want to watch ads. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Oh, oh god. I Yeah, I didn't pay for YouTube for forever. And then at some point a few years ago, I tried the trial and I've never. Yeah, you can't looked, go back. You can't go back. But it's like if the option is, hey, we'll give you this thing for free, but you have to deal with ads, then I won't. I don't want it. Absolutely. I don't want to deal with ads. I hate it. It's annoying. So I'll just pay for something instead of having to deal with ads or I just won't use it. Yeah. But I'm not particularly, I'm kind of just a dumb idiot when it comes to. My rights about that Sur- stuff. surveillance state. Yeah, and all I mean, obviously that. it's bad. Yeah, it, it also like I'm I'm already bothered if I think about it at, at the tracking that's happening already. Yeah, you know what I mean like the the ads that I get, God forbid, 
I just type in like guitar in Google. Mm-hmm. Now for the next like month, I'm just gonna get like, mm-hmm. hey, you need strings? You need uh, uh I got a PS5 mm-hmm. a while ago. I'm still getting because I looked at like how to set up initially, mm-hmm. did a bunch of searching on PS5. I don't need anything else for the PS5. Mm-hmm. I can't stop ads mm-hmm. for stuff with the PS5. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. All right. Next chapter is a New York Times article written by Al Gore. That's right. <laughs> did you notice that? I thought I that was so that. strange. A new hope. <laughs> it, it, I immediately, whenever he drops a name, I'm always trying to do the math on them. Yes. I'm like, wait, Al Gore is still alive? I was yeah. well. I'm assuming everybody he mentions is fake. Outside of the people that are obviously real. Uh, yeah. It, so like right. Al Gore is obviously real. Bill McKibben, is that a real person? Hey, look him up. Yeah. But it's is it not strange to have a fiction? Maybe this is a real article. Oh, no, because it's from no, 2028. 20. <laughs> <laughs> so is it not strange to put a fake article in your book and say, hey, yeah, this was, this was written by Al Gore? Well, no, because Al Gore is the climate guy. He would be... And will be writing articles probably up until the day he dies. Okay. Bill McKibben. Real guy. Or I'm going to say the other, the other two are fake. Bill McKibben. William Ernest McKibben is an American environmentalist, author, and journalist who has written extensively on Damn the impact it. of global warming. He is the Schumann Distinguished Scholar at Middlebury College. Customer of ours. <laughs> and the leader of the climate big campaign flex, group. Big flex there. <laughs> That's right. We got Middlebury College. Uh, James Hansen. James Edward Hansen is an American adjunct professor directing the program of climate science, program on climate science, awareness, and solutions of the Earth Institute at Columbia University. Adjunct, though. Yikes. Mm, yeah. That's tough. Uh, we also work with Columbia University. <laughs> uh, so my, my one note on this is this is where you start to introduce the idea that in order to move policy, you have to move the economy. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's why I took from this yeah. section. Yeah, this was the section that made me have to put the book down for a little bit. And stop reading it. All two pages? Well, because the first part of it is very bleak. And then they go on to say that this is how we turn it around. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 you know. But that's pretty much all it is. Yeah, it, it's interesting to me, though, to, like, you, you look at people, listen to them talk about climate, and it always is like, this is why it's so bleak, 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 bleak. And, and then you're like, oh, man, that sucks. And they go, but here's the positive. So Joe Biden is, I'm like, how are you? How are you going to sell me on a positive now, and then drop? Now at the same time, he's not the one doing policy, right? Right. That there are a lot of people, smart people, who are pushing for you know policies and all that. Although John Podesta mm-hmm. is heading up the climate side of it, right? And he just seems like a tool. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> seems like a, a, a total political tool, and I don't care about him. But, um, but yeah, all these people, I'm like, how do you guys immerse yourself in the reality for so much? Mm-hmm. And then just, like, turn around and be like, and that's why I took this job with the Biden administration. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I don't know the, the stuff half as well as you probably do. But it seems like we're screwed. Yeah. And I can't imagine, you know, spinning. I can't imagine being a politician around it. You sure. know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, that's the only place that could do anything about it. Yeah. Right. Well, no, uh, that's the question. Six degrees is out there. <laughs> so you're saying John Podesta should become an eco terrorist? <laughs> I mean, hey, <laughs> if he's not getting it done, right? <laughs> uh, all right. The next chapter is when we come back to a sheer uh, executive summary on legislative negotiations for the. Pollution Reduction Infrastructure and Refund Act of 2029. Mm-hmm. And, okay, this was the one chapter that lost me format-wise. I could not stop thinking about how this is labeled as an executive summary, has an abstract, and then is the most novelist, almost the most novelistic chapter of he the whole book. He writes a journal. <laughs> right. It's a journal entry. Th- but but they make a comment. That's how he writes his reports. Yeah. Um, he puts his personal life in there. Mm-hmm. So this chapter is about... So our boy Ashir has left sports betting behind. Bad move, Ashir. Should have just stayed and refined that gambling. Right. So he algorithm. is using his talents for some good, right? Yeah. Um, and that's all I remember about this he's chapter. Super, he's super smart. Outside of the fact that he's gay. He's super respected. Uh-huh. Um, he was in love with Peter. He was in love with Peter. Until Peter married his sister. He also is... There's a little piece of me that... Uh, Made me wonder, like, Stephen Markley is, I was like, is he that type of author that everyone he writes about is good looking? Mm. Because it, he makes the point to say that Ashir's, like, drop dead gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then Ashir's gambling partner is also super attractive. Mm-hmm. And Ashir's sister is really attractive. Mm-hmm. Shane <laughs> is very attractive and like uh-huh. written about that, like that yeah um a lot keeper has even been referred to and and like his girlfriend uh-huh. seemed to be like good looking kids um who else the, the, the daughters and jackie oh Kate obviously hot yeah. Kate's like crazy hot uh-huh. matt is really good looking mm-hmm. um i mean who wants to read about ugly people Come yeah on, i'm like i'm like Markley, dude, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what circles you're running in, but I've lived through my 30s. Ain't nobody running around looking like Kate Ashier. We're a bunch of uggos out there. uh, Um, But so my my thoughts or takeaways from this is... um, for me, this is how policy feels like from the inside, where you have a sheer articulating what 
like at the end he says he's like i'm hopeful mm-hmm. that this that this policy can be that this uh bill can be passed and blah 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 now then he talks about all the conflicts mm-hmm. all the robots. well this is also when petrus shows back up right and basically says we're fucked this yeah. this is this thing is so far off right that it's useless right uh, kind of what we were just saying yeah and and to me i i looked at this and i was like okay this to me represents what it's like to be working in the system and i already know what looks like to operate outside the system mm-hmm. because i can look at the system and identify all the problems that a sheer already knows about right all the things that he articulates that he's like these are roadblocks I have access to that too because I can see the politicians that are standing against, you know, policy. I can see how people are voting, right? Mm-hmm. I can see some of the science because it's easy for me to, all I have to do is Google and I can be looking at a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not qualified to understand, but I can mm-hmm. at least be exposed to it all, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know any of the particulars that he does about the policies and the plans that are being proposed. And being passed. Yeah. Right. So it's like, to me, that is, it's a, it's a really interesting depiction of that divide that I grow frustrated a lot by. And I can imagine is frustrating for people inside the system where it's like the only thing that unites us is the negative stuff. It's the only thing that unites us Mm -hmm. because you can't tell me all the positive stuff that you're trying to do because that could upset the apple cart right Mm -hmm. the whole idea is you're you're playing the political game to get the most gains you can so how do you from the inside keep people on the outside like motivated and chill because it's hard to be Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and that's what what i think is interesting about six degrees and kate because they're not united right Yes. Yeah. Kate sees them as a... In th- in theory, they're not united. Exactly. Well, <clears throat> this is something I wanted to ask about. because, And it, it does come up in the last chapter with the advertising stuff. Okay, yeah. Do, do So, the, again, I think it's interesting because I think Mark Lee is really good. And he and he does it by claiming the, um, the, the titles for the books, mm-hmm. right? That he's really great at setting out what he's going to be exploring in a section and then slowly building it out, tying things together, but always deepening your ideas and your concepts of things. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this section, I'm starting to see things come together. I'm starting to see in a Shears chapter, how that links to Kate's work Mm -hmm. and linking it to Shane and understanding how they are opposed in their pursuit of a similar goal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I have a better, for me, I feel like I have a better understanding of these characters' perspectives than just presenting, you know, these two disparate forces or characters or people. Mm -hmm. He does just a great job of world building and tying people together, even if they're not connected, just tying them together thematically Mm -hmm. and how he writes about it. So Ashir's report, to me, is more than just writing in, in a new style. 
it's helping me to think about things from that perspective, right? As a report, as a study of something, as opposed to just a narrative, right? Mm-hmm. If it's you're just narrated to us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I got from it. Okay. Uh, the next chapter is the podcast transcript yeah. of the Kate interview. What did you think of the dude abides line? That is what I wanted to say. <laughs> thin, very thin line for writing a character like this of like obnoxious and like cool. Yeah. And I feel like Kate is just slightly into the obnoxious category. I'm not. The dude abides line killed me. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. The dude abides line was definitely crossed the line for me. Yeah. Um, And again, I think it's one of the things that like these are made up characters. Mm -hmm. I don't know based on what I know about Kate. I wouldn't peg her as a. Huge, huge big Lebowski, big Lebowski fan. Fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it doesn't yeah it doesn't it doesn't fit just get her outside hiking right with a little portable yeah. dvd player ha, yeah with, have her quote christopher mccandless or something yeah yeah um but <clears throat> how, so what's interesting though is you start to see and you've seen it from the beginning kate personally is in some ways her biggest like obstacle Mm -hmm. because as focused and driven she is on climate on her personal life she refuses to be defined Mm -hmm. right um what is your thought of kate as a character more than just walking that fine line of being annoying but also how she treats Matt. Are you feeling, I I guess to simplify my question, relationship check Mm -hmm. for Kate and Matt, your perspective go. So it's interesting because you don't get a lot of current day relationship stuff between the two in all the chapters in this book. Most of the relationship stuff comes from the Matt chapter where he's like recapping what led them up to this point. And I think that chapter sort of ends with a, they have a moment where they're camping. Am I thinking of a completely different story? No. Book one was when they went hiking and camping together. After that, they drove out to... There's Do don't see, they go they like swim in a lake together? Is that book one? That's book one. I can't remember then. Um, but the the podcast interview, the the Vanity Fair article. Um, is there another Kate chapter? It, it all feels uh, it feels very political, almost just very almost. Yeah, she doesn't want to talk about it. When they do bring it up, the only thing that gets brought up is this rumor that she was caught having sex in public with a singer, maybe, mm-hmm. um, which she doesn't ever want to comment on. Um, so to me, it feels like 
And I think there's a line in one of these chapters where Matt also acknowledges the open status of the relationship. Mm-hmm. As in, like, it's not just her who does that. Um, maybe he doesn't say that explicitly, but that's kind of the idea, I guess. So to me, the relationship just feels completely, at this point, uh, arbitrary, I guess. I don't mean that in a bad way or as like a critique. It just feels like a thing that's there. Yeah, I think it's going to come up more later on. But what I started seeing here and one thing that I thought was like interesting about them is from the beginning, she seems like she's like, I'm not going to change. Right. Get in the car, loser. We're yeah. going to D.C. And then has refused to change. Right. You know what I mean? and, and part of his job is kind of cleaning up cleaning up personal messes and you get the sense that he he's not totally cool with it yeah you know what i mean even from book one and you have this idea of coercion right and that was something that um remember that guy oh god what was his name thomas middleditch mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember thomas middleditch yeah the uh silicon valley guy silicon valley guy yeah did you hear about his marriage? <laughs> no. so funny that I know. But he uh, he got out outed by his wife um, because he was on, on a podcast or whatever and just started talking like flippantly about her mm-hmm. and how he had to like really force her into this idea of an open marriage. <laughs> yeah. And then how like... <laughs> then the, the the marriage i believe is over mm-hmm. and it was basically like dude you're do you realize you're an you, <clears throat> right you can't just force somebody into an open relationship because you want it yeah and be like i'm being open with you so yeah now we're going to do an open marriage mm-hmm. and and then she had to come out and talk about how like awkward it was how hard it was for her how she never really wanted to do it you know yeah. and so part of me is like kate is already setting up this like weird dynamic. And I wonder where he's going to go with it Mm -hmm. of like firebrand and an iconic figure. Although we have reference to her being an iconic figure in book one. He, that's true. He references and it's like, I'm not seeing her being iconic right now. (laughs) Yeah. I, she doesn't strike me that way. You know what I mean? Um, she kind of like, strikes me as a manipulative kind of a loser. You uh-huh. know what I mean? A very driven, focused, attractive yeah. loser. But um, on a personal side, and again, maybe this is the whole point of Kate, she just seems to suck. Huh. Yeah, I don't know if I think feel that way yeah i think it might i think i might be talking with a little bit of book three knowledge sure but i do feel like especially in this podcast excerpt at the end her unwillingness to talk openly about her personal life yeah to me shows this shows her blind side right Mm -hmm. which is like i'm all about breaking systems and you know telling the truth and blah, blah, blah. Don't tell me I can't have sex with a musician in a 
bathroom mm-hmm. and also don't talk to me about it. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I definitely don't see the relationship working out long-term. It does feel like that is, like I said, it's a bit arbitrary. It's a bit, it almost feels like, you know, he followed her out to DC and that's kind of what his entire life is. So what else is he going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you don't really get much of Kate except for her being this figurehead. That's kind of what her entire deal is. Cause none of the chapters are told from her perspective. Right. We, we haven't really gotten to see her. A lot. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, so this comes up in the next chapter, which is the last chapter of the book. It also gets mentioned, I think, in this podcast interview. And just as a general point of discussion, and maybe this has come up where you're at in the third book, do you think there is any connection between six degrees and a fierce blue fire. Do I think there's a difference? Do you think there is a connection between the two, like an actual working connection? No, because in the interview, you know, maybe not in the podcast interview, maybe it's in the vanity fair article. Kate (coughs) definitively, um, Denounces. Denounces six degrees. She uncategorically is against any form of violence. Uh, You know, it's just strange to me because she's very militant about the eco message, right? And what needs to be done to fix these things. I mean, she's also equally militant in her stance against violence and against this uh, eco-terrorist group six degrees. And so I'm wondering if that is purely a political stance she knows she has to take or if it is something that she truly believes. Because it seems to me like it would be a very easy mm. move for right her personality, her type of person to be in the six degrees movement. I think she truly, I think that she is again, the, the fully actualized neoliberal. Mm-hmm. I think that she fully believes in her take and that her take is right. And here's the other thing that this book has made me realize. Because I'm, I'm always somebody who's like, oh, I want to understand both sides, blah, 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 blah. But you can't have a real conversation if you don't truly believe a perspective. Mm-hmm. Like... I can't be someone to sit down and represent both Shane's idea and Kate's idea because I don't believe either one as fully as they do. Mm -hmm. Like you need people who are like, this is the right way. I fully believe it. Now let me tell you why in order to get a full perspective. Can't have somebody summarize it for you. Mm -hmm. So I kind of always took Kate as a true believer. And when she's talking about, policy and approach she's not lying about that so no i would i say that she is a adamant uh opposer 
of, of six degrees. Okay. Yeah. I always wonder about that in real life too. Like, you know, political figures, I mean, obviously pipelines have been blown up before. Like this stuff has happened before Mm -hmm. and like protests have happened before. And you always have to denounce, you always have to like denounce that stuff for political reasons. Mm -hmm. And then the play is to, I guess for the opposite side to try and tie you to it. Yeah. You know, or create just that little window of you support terrorism. Right. But then there's also has to be this element of like, yeah, fucking blow up the pipeline. I don't care. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Like if I'm Kate, that's what I'm thinking. See, but by, even though I know I can't say that. Yeah, but, but I think that that's spoken again by by two people who don't fully believe Kate's perspective. Right. And so, I, yeah, I think that Kate wouldn't be able to do that. So the next and last chapter of this book is called How to Stop a Revolution. It takes place in 2029, which is 15 years after this person's first chapter. And this is the lady who slept with the actor in the first book. And her name is now changed his name to the pastor. Right. And he's hosting his own world worldie in Slapdish. And what's her name? You're you're about to say. Her name is Jackie, which I don't think was in her first first book. Uh, But 15 years later, she is also very good looking. Also very attractive. She is, uh, she is now a high, like a high, high powered advertising executive or maybe not executive. Cause she's like doing the pitching. She, but some sort of advertising lady. Yeah. Remember in the first book, she got passed up for a promotion. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and she's pitching this conglomerate on, uh, how do we, well, stop the revolution, basically. How do we counteract a fierce Kate. blue fire? Mm-hmm. How do we counteract, yes, Kate and a fierce blue fire specifically, and generally how do we counteract this climate change movement, which is obviously going to have a terrible effect financially on this oil conglomerate or whoever these people are. Um. So the whole chapter is her kind of laying out this plan of um, we are the new green. Right. The of of we are the green new complacency of, again, individual responsibility. But but also of corporate ownership, that corporations are the (laughs) ones who are uniquely prepared to face this challenge. And they are the ones who are going to don't. Remember, doesn't she say, like, not on our watch, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so just this general idea of sowing doubt, um, so, like, sowing complacency, uh, very interesting, seems to really, you know, kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of, I'm assuming, what they've, these same companies have been doing for decades. Uh, Well, and and also the, the strategy moving forward. It does seem to be right. Like how many times have you seen at the Super Bowl? I feel like I saw a few where, you know, you, you get this like picture of um, trees and woods and mm-hmm. it's like Exxon Mobil, like 
we're working on clean energy. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <clears throat> but I know that you, Exxon, are currently not helping the environment. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. But apparently, this commercial is trying to tell me that you are working on something that's green. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's green related. Um. So, yeah. And, and that does seem to be the... The, the approach moving forward, right? Yeah. So this chapter is about that. It, it also talks about her father died. There's some familial stuff in here. She has to go back home, her sister and brother, her dad got sick and died. Mm-hmm. She needs to take care of her mom. Yeah. She, she has, <clears throat> uh, gets in a relationship well, with one of the guys. That's the thing. She, so she kind of closes the deal by sleeping with one of the executives, right? And a big storm blows through again. So right. and we then, can see whether. Right. And then he, um, and she ties that into the night she slept with the actor because mm-hmm. that was the night that she took control of her sexuality or whatever. I don't remember. Um, And then, but she looked at it as like a one-off thing. And then the next night or something, he's like, Hey, this storm is really bad. They canceled my flight. Can I come over? He comes over and they hook up again. Um, I don't think she, it doesn't seem like she would consider a relationship, but he does Mm -hmm. clearly. Mm -hmm. And he is, quote unquote separated. I don't think we're really supposed to be sure where he's at in his marriage, but according yeah. to him, he's separated. They haven't lived together in a long time. Right. Um, so what did you think of their, their pitch? There was a quote in here somewhere that I thought was interesting. And I told myself I would be able to find it when we recorded. <laughs> I can't find it. So, I mean, the, the, the pitch, First, well, one thing that I thought was interesting was when um, that one guy gives her pushback on it, mm-hmm. and then he's joined by the other lady who is also kind of fueling his fire. Mm-hmm. And then, um, what's her name again? Emmy? No, the, the ad lady. Emmy, right? Em- and then, what's his name says that she's actually on your side? Exactly. Yeah, He's her a, name's Emmy, I think. No, 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 I know, but I'm saying like the actual. Oh, Jackie. Jackie. Uh huh. So yeah, then he tells Jackie later on that that she's on her side, right? And that's what she does, right? You like give them a little bit of fuel, and then you pull it out from under. You know, you you yank the the rug out from under them later on, right? Um. So, yeah, I I thought, again, really well written, conceived, very believable, very realistic mm-hmm. in terms of how I think something like this probably does go down and made me think of something I just watched yesterday, which was The Zone of Interest. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about The Zone of Interest? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about my viewing experience of zone of interest. Um, but maybe I'll save that for like final thoughts. Once we put a full wrap on this, Mm -hmm. um, book two. Um, but yeah, I, 
I think this book is incredibly readable. Yeah. For how long it is, for yeah. its subject matter, and what I what I thought this was going to be, it definitely is not what I thought um, a, a in quote unquote important book about climate change was going to be mm-hmm. that, that took the science seriously. Um, so I find myself, yeah, just picking this up, not having a problem reading. I'm very interested in, uh, in the world. Yeah. Like, like I want to know what's going to happen two years later. Like, right. Is California still around? Where are we at? Uh, yes, this book definitely has convinced me, not of not, if nothing else, that I, we need to move out of Virginia Beach as soon as possible. Listen, <laughs> listen. He he's made reference to this, and I think I, I think it's true, right? That weather events are happening more frequently. Yeah, and I can't deny it anymore. Right, yeah. right now, there's a wildfire running through Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another. God knows somewhere else. Um, you know, do you remember when the Canada fires were going and mm-hmm. we got the smoke here? Mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking, like, isn't this weird? Is this, <laughs> is this hap- hap- should I be concerned? I can't breathe outside because Canada's on fire? Yeah. I'm like, should I be worried? But everyone just kind of going about their own way, yeah. you know what I mean? And you're just like, okay. And you can so adjust to the new normal, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you're not directly affected. Mm-hmm. But you realize that it is a precarious ledge that we exist on. Mm-hmm. And you see that happening in California a lot. I saw a picture of this guy's like mansion that's going to fall off this cliff. Mm-hmm. And he's refusing to move. He's like, my house is fine. And... <laughs> Meanwhile, all the the latest rains over there, they had like a week straight of rain. Mm -hmm. That just totally wiped out the cliff that his house was built on. And Mm -hmm. it's not going to stay up long. Yeah. Um, But, but, you know, we just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. But all it would take, and now I read an article the other day of how ocean temperatures have risen higher and faster than what a lot of people predicted. Yeah. And one thing that that can affect is hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And I was in South Florida when Andrew hit, it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I saw Homestead where the eye hit and it wiped Homestead out so much that they had to rebuild it. And now Homestead is like, way different than what it was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's only different because it was fully wiped out, like right. fully. And you have to ask two two questions. Number one, will we have the money to rebuild if we keep losing vast amounts of our infrastructure, mm-hmm. which we seem to be losing anyway? Remember that bridge collapse two years ago or so? Sure. That exposed like a lot of our bridges mm-hmm. just are in horrible shape because we just don't. All right. Have that was the whole idea of the infrastructure bill, right? Exactly. We, we don't pay enough and we can't pay enough for the, 
there's not enough money to to do the infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? So number one, wh- how will we pay to rebuild when things hit? And number two, are we changing the face of our area enough where rebuilding is not an option? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Norfolk is like basically under. Yeah, Norfolk already floods like crazy. Sea, sea level, right? Yeah. Like, it's ready. It's mm. like ready to just be like, swamp us out. Wash Turn me us, away. Wash yeah. me away. Turn me into a swamp. Um, <clears throat> and one big storm, you you have to believe, could have devastating effects mm-hmm. on, on places like that. So, you know, whereas Homestead, I think it was a different time. And um, again, storms were more isolated even katrina like i was in texas when katrina hit Mm -hmm. i saw people leaving and people who are saying i'm not going back you know right i have nothing to go back to um bye bye yeah bye 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 it does make you think yeah virginia beach is not set up we're not in a great spot no not a great spot no, we're in probably one of the worst spots. Well, I mean, in the book, right? 2026. Yeah, that's what he says. We get wiped out. Um, Listen, I'm going to have, let's see, my mortgage will be so I can resell that. 2026 yeah. is in two years. Yeah, so I think I think <laughs> if I sell at the end of 25. Right. And then just go no, by no. high land, a high. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, all right. Any quick thoughts on the book so far? Yeah, I love it. It's it's yeah. great. I'm I uh, I can't wait to start reading it again. Uh, I'll probably pick it up again tonight. I'm very interested to see where it goes because I'm only a quarter of the way through the book. We're at twenty thirty already, and it's felt like a lot of laying the groundwork for what's going to happen for like the real shit to happen in a good way. I've really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm really interested to see where it goes. And I think he does a great job. I think Kate is probably the only character that I feel like is not fleshed out that well. And I think Jackie, this advertising lady is a, is a good, um, like she doesn't seem purposefully malicious or whatever she just kind of seems like she's i don't know just doing her job but her job is like terrible Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's to do something terrible and it's sort of like this a thing that we've talked about before of like you know the people who are working on ai or whatever and it's this idea of like you're not thinking about any sort of repercussions of what you're doing. You're just given a problem and you want to solve it. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't think about what that salute, what the, what the ramifications of that solution are. You just want to come up with a solution, um, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, overall I th- it's great. Okay. So end of book talk. If anybody out there is listening, this and you're listening for the deluge talk completely over but you said something very interesting that i wanted to to comment on really quick Uh, that ties into the zone of interest 
Mm-hmm. So Jonathan Glazer's new movie about Auschwitz and uh, Rudolf Hess, who Hus, mm-hmm. who ran Auschwitz and lived in a house right on the other side of the camp. Literally, the camp wall abutted mm-hmm. the garden, right? Where his wife and five children, four children lived. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I watched this movie and it is so like harrowing and so like intelligent and mind blowing about all the stuff you just talked about. Some people say it's about the banality of evil. Mm-hmm. I went, okay, fine. It is, but it's about so much more. Mm-hmm. That's such a simplification. And it's about stuff like that. Like number one, there's a scene where he's meeting with these engineers who are showing that you can build the furnaces in a circular construction. So you can run them continuously mm-hmm. and they will cool down as you go around and ignite the next furnace and you can clean the ashes out of the one on the other side so you can have it burning constantly. Mm-hmm. So you can constantly be burning bodies um, around the clock, mm-hmm. basically. And the two people pitching this, the main guy pitching it, talking to him about it, clearly is like presented a problem and he right. solved it. Yeah. And he is just here. Look at this. Isn't mm-hmm. this a, this is a beautiful solution. Mm-hmm. Now the fact that we'll be burning bodies, he never really yeah. connects with, you know? And so it's about that as well. And I couldn't help, but look at some of the, negative reviews and the people who want to say that the movie's about nothing mm-hmm. that they got nothing out of it and there are people who like you know say that glacier is like smug and so yeah like how do you how can you label that criticism like i was trying to think do i know any smug filmmakers mm-hmm. you know <laughs> what does that mean how mm-hmm. do i watch a movie and go you know what the guy who made this is? He's smug. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I wanted to apply smugness, it would probably be to a Marvel movie. Right. It probably wouldn't be to a examination of Auschwitz. Right. <laughs> and, and the evil of right. Nazis, right? Yeah. But then people that, are... That guy might be trying to do a little bit more with his movie. <laughs> right. I don't know that... Yeah. Let's... Focus on the people that deserve yeah. your, your ire. But anyway, as I'm watching this, it's just so clear to me that not only does it speak to my understanding and experience, but it speaks to everything we're, we're going on with the deluge. How can people be about something that is evil or perpetuating a problem and never be confronted with the fact that mm-hmm. they are perpetuating this thing mm-hmm. so israel uh, gaza right there 
You know what I mean? Right. Um, and you have people working with Biden or you have all the, the, the current political climate and you have people who are trying to perpetuate this candidate who, whose policy is to support a genocide. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You know what I mean? How do you do that? How do you stand up as a press corps? Yeah. Uh, and, and just day after day answer people. Did you see the, the massacre today? Oh yeah. With the people trying to get aid and the, food. The, the, the title of it is the flower massacre. Mm-hmm. Like how disgusting. Is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? What does that even mean? Why is it named that? Cause they were going to get flour. F- oh, F- flower. I was thinking F- like flowers. Yeah. Yeah. No, F L O U R. Yeah. Like they're going to get supplies and yeah, then yeah. they get massacred trying to get supplies. Right. Like, yeah, this isn't like a, the, uh, the resistance massacre of 2024. Mm-hmm. It's the flower. It's the trying to get provisions for my family. massacre. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? So anyway, all of that, I, I, I see in the book, I see in our current, world and and to see people watch the zone of interest and come away going that had nothing to say that was empty what the hell even was that (laughs) makes me want to it makes me feel insane because i'm like what world are you living in you know what it makes me think of it makes me think of that norm mcdonald joke Mm -hmm. um have you uh heard where he's like you know when people commit suicide and people have you heard this one i don't I mean, probably, but it doesn't ring a bell. He's like, you know, when people commit suicide and, uh, I, I like that I gave you that. I'm like, you must, he's talking about suicide. You must know this. <laughs> How many jokes does he have about suicide? But he's like, uh, you know, when people commit suicide and you, you always have people go, I just don't understand. I just don't understand why you would do that. And Norm just goes, you don't understand. What do you mean? <laughs> You live in a world of gumdrops and lollipops. Yeah. (laughs) Not in a world where it's a continuing disappointment that keeps disappointing until the day you die. He's like, you don't understand. Right. He's like, yeah, I understand. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so, yeah, it just makes me be like, what world are you living in Mm -hmm. where we're not, he's not just talking about the Nazis. Right. The whole reason why he doesn't, the movie just shows their lives. It doesn't show the camp. The reason why it doesn't do that is because he doesn't want to tie you directly to that event. Mm-hmm. He wants you to understand that those atrocities and horrors are continuous. Mm-hmm. And to make you consider that, I don't understand. Again, I'm on Letterboxd. I follow people. And there are people, and I try to follow people I respect their views or like what, and still on there, there's people who are like one star. What the hell even is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to be like, what world are you living? What world are you living in? Mm-hmm. You got nothing, nothing from that. Right. So anyway, zone of interest. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Okey-dokey. are you going to watch it by the way? Nope. Really? Not interested at all. Interested. Yep. Will I watch it? Nope. Probably not. Why not? Uh, we just don't watch a lot. We don't watch a lot of things. Uh, can I call bullshit on that? <laughs> you watch a lot of things. 
I don't watch a, a lot, lot of, of movies. Movies. Listen, correct. Listen. I don't watch a lot of things over 10 minutes long. Okay. All it's of not that, on YouTube. All of that aside. Unless it's the 1997 Royal Rumble. Will you watch The Burbs? No. I'm definitely not nope. watching The Burbs. Nope. Please watch The Burbs. I mean, yeah, we could probably watch that. Yeah. But why? Why would you? Why would you be so resistant? What was name me the last three movies you watched with your daughters? Oh, you want to? You want me to watch that with the girls? Sure. Is it? Is it kid friendly? No, roughly. It's PG. Um, we watched. Uh, we've been watching Traders with them, the Australian Traders. The last movies we watched were Hook, which they liked, and Goonies before that, which they liked, and I don't know. Yeah. Harry Potter before that. And it should be the Burbs next. They're not going to like the Burbs. You don't know what the Burbs is. <laughs> you, you, you're refusing to watch something. That you will like. I just asked you if the girls would like it, and you couldn't give me an answer. Yeah, they'll like it. All right. I like that. You're just saying that. Also, you know what else you will like? Balatro. Balatro. God bless you. <laughs> it's the it's the poker roguelike game. Oh, it's a game. Uh-huh. You thought I'm was... not gaming right now. All I'm doing is reading. Okay. This book has Taking over your life. That's it. I can't. I finished Rogue Legacy 2, and I haven't touched a controller since. All right. Well, I think we've gone on long enough. So two weeks, and then we will only be talking. Book three. About the Deluge. Book three, which you are going to. I will read in two weeks. You're going to read in two days, and then you're going to say, I didn't finish it. (laughs) No, I'm going to read a chapter a day for two weeks. That's going to get you there? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Okie dokie. All right. Bye-bye. So go home. Bye-bye. We love you. I love you. You're very special. And God bless the United States. Bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye.